0: Good morning, UBC, and thank you to Pastor Jason for the wonderful introduction. Uh, I hope it never comes to this, but uh, uh, you'd be great giving my eulogy because it uh, just sounds so amazing, some of the things you put together. So I'm praying that that doesn't happen anytime soon, but thank you, brother, for the very, very kind introduction. As Jason noted, I am a professor, a politician, and today a preacher. So don't think you're getting out early for lunch. The good news for you is, my true belief is that if you can say something, you can say it succinctly, so you can keep your reservation at the Olive Garden for noon. As you can probably tell by now from my accent, I'm a southerner. Actually, I'm not lying to you. As you can see on the first picture on your screen, I was born and raised uh, in the southeast of England and you're probably wondering to yourself, you know, what is this picture? It's from circa 1987, and you're thinking, well, of all the pictures in England, and I'm assuming this is England, why didn't you get a selfie with the Queen or Thames River or something like that? But uh, let me tell you that this picture was taken in the city of Nottingham. And if we zoom in a little more, let's say it's at Sherwood Forest. And let's actually say that, as legend has it, this is Robin Hood's tree. And so as I introduce the topic of citizenship today, each country, each national entity has its stories, they have their backgrounds, and this is one kind of character. Robin Hood tells us something about England and its background and its history. I lived in the south of Canada for uh, over a decade. And frankly, most Canadians do because it gets awfully cold uh, as you go a bit further north. And I've lived in Ohio now for 15 years. Now in the southwest of Ohio. So uh, I am a a southerner, uh, so to speak. I know that some of you from the real south, southerners are going, you're not really southern. And that's true. Uh, You should witness me ordering food in the south It's akin to Forrest Gump's box of chocolates. Uh, With my sandwich, I just never know what I'm going to get. I've been blessed to be married to my wife, Rebecca, for almost a dozen years. Uh, I like to call her Saint Rebecca. Uh, Theologically that's sound because as believers in Christ we are saints But she has to put up with my nonsense and trust me there's a lot of it So Saint Rebecca is her proper term We are extremely blessed to have three children You'll see them on the slide Uh, Declan is seven Harper and Camille are our twin daughters They're five Your pop quiz at the end of tonight is to figure out the difference between Harper and Camille But in all seriousness, I want to say a major thank you to so many of you in our congregation, those of you that serve in child and youth uh, as workers, those in Awana, your ministry is bearing real fruit among our young people. It's such a blessing to be part of a church that has such an emphasis on the next generation, to know that Christ will be passed down So thank you from the bottom of one Father's heart for all of your service. To start our discussion on what the Bible says about citizenships, I want to take a step back and really a a 30,000 foot view of the world and, and pose a question. How many countries exist in the world today? And in many ways, it's a complex question And it depends on who you ask. There is an international body, the United Nations, uh, which brings countries together from around the world, and they can discuss issues. Uh, To paraphrase a a former prime minister, Winston Churchill, to jaw-jaw is better than to war-war. And so coming together. And the United Nations has 193 member states. On top of that, there are observer non-member states. And so there are a little extra. And then there are entities that are also recognized by the United States and other countries. And that might bring us up to 197 or so. If you're anything like me, you like the Olympic Games, there are 205 national associations of the Olympic Games that we're about to see in the opening and closing ceremonies. And frankly, if you like football, the real one, soccer as you might call it, uh, under FIFA, it has 211 national associations. So the number of countries somewhere in the 190s, 200s, 210s or so. So while we hold citizenship here in the United States, we have to remember that there are many countries around the world as well. So citizenship at face value can seem very simple, but very complex. As Pastor Jason referenced in the opening, people serve People fight, people die for their citizenship and those thereafter. People cross oceans for another citizenship at times. Sometimes war, famine, plagues, etc., cause people to move thousands of miles for a new opportunity, a new citizenship. Theologically, citizenship is fascinating. In the Bible, citizenship is ancient. It's modern, it will exist in the future, and be referenced in heaven. Citizenship is ancient, because as a study of the Old Testament will show, King David, among many kings of Israel, often fighting wars against neighboring countries, the Edomites, the Aramites, the Ammonites, the Phoenicians, many, many countries. And so Psalm 86.9 reads, All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord. The concept of countries, of nations, is ancient, and we can see it in Scripture. Citizenship is modern if we just examine the world today. Holding a citizenship, for example. How do I know that citizenship will exist in the future? Well, Jesus told me. Matthew 24:7 reads and this is when Jesus is asked about the end times, the final days, what things will look like. Jesus says himself, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. This is one example of the things to come and so countries will exist. Citizenship will also be referenced in heaven. Revelation 7:9 reads, after these things I looked and behold a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. and They cry out with a loud voice saying, salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. there's a lot of complexity to citizenship. In our church, for example, we have many American citizens, as one might expect in the Midwest of the United States in beautiful Beaver Creek, Ohio. But we also have people in our congregation who were born in a range of different countries, are here maybe now on a green card or are citizens people who have faithfully served the Lord as missionaries in different parts of the world. And it's not to say they've given up a citizenship, but it's also to say that the Lord has embraced upon their heart a special place for a country or a people group. We also have international students, beloved to me as a professor from Cedarville University, Wright State University, and other surrounding areas, people who are guests in our country, Uh, who may seek a green card, may seek citizenship and employment one day here, or may return elsewhere. And so the idea of citizenship is a very fascinating one because it changes, it is different. I personally am a first, fourth, and sixth generation American, at least from what I found so far in my genealogical studies. I'm a first generation American in the sense that I came here to this country in 2006. But my... Great-grandparents, three of my four great-grandparents came to this country from Germany and from Slovakia, which was then part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. My fourth great-grandparent was from a descendant from Ireland, and her grandfather, that is the sixth generation out from me, he fled to the United States as a result of the potato famine. So it is complex. And I want to introduce for you now the main idea, because if you are a believer in Christ, It holds. We need to hold our earthly citizenship, but always remember that heavenly citizenship is our ultimate destination for us as believers in Christ. My argument will follow, to some degree, St. Augustine's City of God, but I will also have many updates and distinctions as well. The rest of my sermon is broken into three different areas. I'm going to simply describe what is citizenship to start, then move on to a discussion of Jesus, and then finally look at the dichotomy between earthly and heavenly citizenship. So what is citizenship? Well, the unfortunate thing about a definition of citizenship, and I looked at many, is that they tend to use the word citizen to define citizenship, so it's not all that helpful. And so I've taken a step back, and this definition is of a citizen. And it's from the Merriam-Webster dictionary, it is a native or naturalized person who owes allegiance to a government and is entitled to protection from it. There's a fair bit to break down there, but it means that someone could be born in a country and have citizenship. It also means that they could move to that country, be naturalized as well and gain citizenship. All of these people owe allegiance to the government and is entitled to protection from it as well, according to Merriam-Webster Dictionary. Of course, this describes people in our world that are citizens, but it is worth taking a note that there are millions around the world that are stateless persons. That is, for whatever reason, in their country, they have not been given citizenship. There are also internally displaced persons, IDPs. If we take the country of Syria, for example, Syria has just marked the unfortunate anniversary of the 10th year of its civil war. 22 million people lived in Syria prior to the start of the civil war. One in two Syrians is now an IDP. That is, they are either refugees elsewhere or away from their homes due to war or sickness, etc. So what does Scripture have to say about citizenship and issues of national identity? What does this book that's over 2,000 years old have to say? Because as a professor, I attend a lot of secular conferences in the community and confront a lot of people who do not know Christ, and sometimes they question me. What does this old book have anything to do with the modern era? And I say, actually, a ton. Even if we look at something very 21st century like cyber warfare. You might look to say, well, what's in Scripture about cyber warfare? It gives us all the background and principles on how to live, how to interact, how to conduct ourselves. So even in the midst of cybersecurity, cyber warfare, Scripture gives us the principles by which to live. Scripture also says a lot about my topic of citizenship today, but has to be carefully applied. For example, Scripture talks at length about kings going to war with other kings. It does not mean we need to do the same. So let's take a moment to draw out an important distinction in Scripture. In Scripture, there are descriptions and prescriptions as well. So what do I mean by that? A lot of the Bible is descriptive. That is, it tells us what happened. Uh, an account of an event or an issue, or a genealogy. It's a description. We also have prescriptions in scripture. There are parts of scripture that say, this is what you must do as a Christian. One example is we have to read scripture and we have to come to a saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. We're also called to share the gospel, to share the good news about Jesus Christ. Now, there are some that are introverts, there are some that are extroverts. It's gonna look different depending on the person. But everyone in some way, shape or form should be involved in ministry. This is a prescription in scripture. And finally from Matthew 28, we are called to make disciples of all nations. It is a prescription in scripture, something that we must do. When looking at the wider world, a topic of citizenship and national identity, I think exists on a continuum. And I think there are six ways that people, Christians or not, look at the world. And so there are six different points that I would like to uh, indicate to you. Uh, Some are biblical, some are not. The first, I would argue, is a globalism, uh, a view that human beings should get rid of citizenship or simply become uh, a citizen of the world. That's one position that people hold. A second position is regionalism, uh, an example like the European Union fits well where people think that they are citizens of Europe rather than a, a country. The next four all ascribe citizenship within a single country. Uh, The first is patriotism. That is a a view that you hold your citizenship, you love your country, but you are devoid of a jingoism or anger against others. There is a nationalism that also fits that you love your country and may defend it when attacked. We also have colonialism, which has largely gone away today, but is one that is historic. Uh, I grew up in a very British family on my maternal side, many proclaiming the virtues of the British Empire. One of my political heroes, Winston Churchill, uh, supported this idea. And then finally, uh, hypernationalism—that is, I love my country, my country is better than yours, in your face, and I'm going to invade you. And so those are six positions on a continuum of citizenship. And I will unpack some of this as we go on through today's discussion. What else can scripture say about issues of citizenship? Let's take a, a, a recent example. Uh, NAFTA, now the USMCA. Uh, NAFTA is the North American Free Trade Agreement, now the United States-Mexico-Canada agreement between three countries, the United States, Canada and Mexico. It started out as a bilateral treaty that is between the United States and Canada in 1988. Uh, it has historic roots as an Aldo pact beginning in the 1960s and, and very significant and long-standing uh, relations between the United States and Canada. Mexico joined in 1992. Uh, and then formally signed, or formally ratified, and entered into force in 1994. And you're probably wondering, what on earth does NAFTA have to do with you know, what's in the scripture? And I will argue that there's a descriptive sense on how we can treat something like NAFTA. If we go to the book of 1 Kings 5, 1 Kings 5 uh, creates a treaty between King David, sorry, King Solomon of Israel and King Hiram of Tyre. And what they do is they sign a pact. They form an agreement where there's an ongoing trade relationship between the two. The goal of it for King Solomon is building the temple. And in 1 Kings 5, it works well. It's discussed. It's fleshed out. And things look very good. And the temple is built. By the time we get to 1 Kings 9, which in Scripture is about 20 years later... King Haram is unhappy. He wishes the deal had never been signed. And so, descriptively, it gives us a sense that trade deals can be renegotiated. Something like NAFTA can be the USMCA today. Uh, it can and should have the support of people. Outside of my continuum, there's another term that I would like to raise as well, that is transnationalism, that is what goes beyond different countries, and what links people. And as followers of Christ, we have an amazing bond with our brothers and sisters around the world, those that love the Lord Jesus Christ in many countries. And we should never neglect to pray for our brothers and sisters. I want to give you a quote from Daniel Aiken. He is a pastor and now the president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. And it reads, We must never forget that we have more in common with a Chinese Christian, an African sister, and a brother in South America than a next-door neighbor who does not know Christ. We have strong and firm linkages. We're called to pray for those that are persecuted, pray for our brothers and sisters around the world, and to support them. Now, what I want to define here for sure is that transnationalism is not globalism. We still have our citizenships. We still have our distinctions with our brothers and sisters. We're referenced in Revelation 7 that every nation, tribe, and tongue will be there. So there will be distinctions. Globalism leads to problems. We can see that in Genesis 11. We can also see that in the, depending on the reading of end times, with regard to concentrations of power amongst sinful human beings. And so of my continuum, I will strongly argue that patriotism is the best place to fall. Devoid of jingoism, devoid of anger towards others, but it can be a healthy patriotism. So feel free today to celebrate the July the 4th, enjoy it. Light some fireworks, eat some hot dogs, enjoy your time feel free to hold patriotism as well as your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But I'll add some more to that in just a little bit. We must always retain the view that all people are made in God's image, regardless of where they were born, regardless of the citizenship they hold. And in heaven, we know this will include people from every tribe and nation and tongue. So let's move to a second section on Jesus himself, because if we're going to talk about a heavenly citizenship, as my friend Micah read from Philippians 3.20, then we need to talk about Jesus. We need to talk about his life and his context. And so let's spend a few minutes looking at his life. Jesus was born in the Roman Empire. A hundred years after Jesus's birth, it was a sprawling and massive empire at its height. To give you context, in the West, what is today Portugal and Spain, all the way through Europe into the Middle East and to the East, past Israel and modern day Iraq. In the North, it encompassed England, all the way to Hadrian's Wall in the very North of the country and all the way South through Europe, through North Africa, through the modern boundaries roughly of Egypt in the south. It was a massive empire. Jesus was born into that empire. And his life is interesting. He hops from different locations. He was born in Bethlehem, as we know. A small village very close to Jerusalem, but was raised in Nazareth. And as you can see, I have a couple pictures here of Jesus from Nazareth. Uh, This first picture is from what is called the Basilica of the Annunciation. It's a picture I took uh, while in Nazareth. It's also known as the Church of the Annunciation. And legend has it that this is where Mary grew up. This is Mary's house by legend. This is where she would have encountered the angel who told her that the Lord was in her womb. Now, I cannot promise you that this was the exact location, but we know it was in Nazareth. As you can see on the next picture, this is a a location I took, uh, a picture of Nazareth. And you can see some of the hilly ground. You can see some of the modern city in the background. But back in its day, Nazareth was a small village of around 400 to 500 people. It also brings out some of Jesus' parables a little more when you think about the soils Rocky ground, good soil, those that get choked, uh, fig trees, things of that nature, were all in the world in which Jesus was born and lived. And again, I cannot tell you for sure that the Lord walked in this area or knew it, but Nazareth in its center is fairly concentrated. And so there's a good chance that the Lord was in or around this area. The Lord had to flee to Egypt as a young boy for fear of being killed or his parents fled for fear that Jesus would have been killed. And we know that he spent obviously a lot of time in Jerusalem, especially at the end, especially the key to his ministry. Finally, he spent most of his three years in ministry in and around the Sea of Galilee that you can see on the picture, the next one here. Galilee is more like a big lake that crisscrosses a few provinces of the old Roman Empire, some heavily Jewish, some not. And Jesus conducts this three-year ministry in a lot of small villages in and around Galilee, often on the Sea of Galilee, if we think about the storm and Jesus calming the storm. Tangentially, I have tried to walk on water on the Sea of Galilee, and I sunk No surprise as a, as a sinful man. Jesus did not come initially to overturn the Roman Empire. He lived as a good citizen, a good subject, focused on his early life, and then expanding into ministry. I'll repeat, he did not come to overthrow the empire. Although many Jews of his day expected a political leader, Jesus, to rise up to overthrow the Roman Empire It's not what he did, but he also changed the world very dramatically. He bridged the gap between us and God. Sinful human beings unable to be with God, he bridged that gap as the perfect atonement. So how can you gain a heavenly citizenship? What is a heavenly citizenship? This is the most important thing. Romans 10.9 is a nice synopsis. Of, of how to know the Lord Jesus Christ, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is the core of knowing that you can have a heavenly citizenship. We know that Jesus Christ is God. He came to earth. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He lived a spotless and a sinless life. He was brought to trial, although he had committed no crime. He was hung on a Roman cross, died, was buried in the ground in a tomb, much like what you'd see in Nazareth, for three days, and then rose again. He appeared to his disciples. He appeared to over 500 as a risen Lord, a Lord that can do miracles, can even defeat death if you believe in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and profess it, you can have heavenly citizenship here and now. Moving to the third section of today on heavenly and earthly citizenships, Philippians 3.20 reads, "'For our citizenship is in heaven, "'from which also we eagerly wait for a savior, "'the Lord Jesus Christ.'" So on the one hand, there's this very interesting dichotomy. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you have a heavenly citizenship that will last for eternity. But as Saint Augustine notes, we cannot shirk our responsibilities on earth today. The Lord is sovereign. He has placed us on this earth with a plan and a purpose for today and the rest of our days. Let us be of service to the Lord's ministry. May we be telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ. May we be serving our brothers and sisters. May we take responsibility for our earthly citizenship, regardless of what it looks like, regardless of whether we were born and raised in one location or we've crisscrossed the globe in our lives. May he find us faithful serving him. Several of Pastor Jason's recent sermons have pointed us to the biblical truth that the Lord Jesus will one day come back. Pastor Jason noted in 1 Thessalonians 4 that there will be a rapture. He noted in 2 Thessalonians 2 that there will be a man of lawlessness. And I cannot tell you when the Lord Jesus will return other than to say that the Lord Jesus is a man of his word. He fulfilled the Old Testament... um, prophecies, and he has prophesied to come again in the New Testament, we can trust this Jesus. He will come again, and we do not know when, but we know he will come again. As I noted in the opening, I love the Olympic Games. I love watching the the athletes, the very best in the world, compete. And in a way, it's a bit of an interesting double-edged sword because The Olympic Games brings the whole world together. It's a nice moment where everyone can be together, whether the countries are near or far from one another. But it's also got this nationalistic edge to it as well. Countries really want to defeat others, and sometimes it brings up old animosities, old angers, old wars, things of that nature. My favorite event in the Olympic Games is the 100-meter dash, uh, a flat-out sprint. There's something visceral about it, seeing the fastest men and women on the planet. There's also something to me about discipline that comes with the 100 meter desk because these are athletes that train for four years to perform for nine and a half to ten and a half seconds. Four years, ups and downs, injuries, problems, high points, low points. Nine and a half seconds can you perform or not? Gold medal or not? If not, Wait another four years. A hundred meter dash. And I also love when countries compete against one another in the four by 100. The four by 100 is where four participants of a team, of a country, will each run a hundred meters, pass off a baton, so the opening runner will run, pass it off to the second, who will then run another hundred meters, to the third, and then to the fourth. The anchor leg, and then the final there. And I feel like the baton is a wonderful metaphor for our citizenship. It breaks down at a certain point, but I think that it's very instructive. The baton that is used, that is passed from runner to runner in the 4x100 is useful for us in thinking about our citizenship. Because... As scripture tells us, this life is but a vapor. Life expectancy for men in the United States, born today is 75 years. For women, 80.5 years. Life will end. We will have to account to the Lord Jesus in terms of how we used our lives. And so going back to the main idea that we need to hold our earthly citizenship, but always remember that heavenly citizenship is, is our ultimate destination. We need to hold our citizenship on earth. We have a duty to reach those in our neighboring communities. And if the, if the Holy Spirit so does so in your heart, to reach people around the world. We need to hold these earthly citizenships or an earthly citizenship. But life will end one way or another. Either the Lord come back or we will all die. We will all meet the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so be careful of jingoism in your nationalism of getting into a hypernationalism because this world is not all we will have to give an account to the lord we have an ultimate destination an eternal destination in heaven and so we have to have a level of caution in our actions hold your baton but do so somewhat lightly knowing that there's a heavenly citizenship to come. We can also think of it too in terms of from one generation to another. No person today from the nineteenth century is still alive. Zero. And yet back in their day they were the most powerful people on this planet. There are zero of them alive today. They have passed the baton on to previous to the next generations and likewise One day, every person from the 20th century will be gone. There will be zero. One day, every person from the 21st century will be gone. There will be zero. We will have to pass the baton. May we find ourselves doing ministry, telling our young people and every person about the Lord Jesus Christ. In closing, and since I'm I'm a professor, I have some homework for you this week four pieces of homework. The first is, what is your heavenly citizenship? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? In a gathering of this size, I know there are many that have faithfully worshiped the Lord Jesus for decades. Thank you, saints, for your work, for your ministry here and elsewhere. But for those of you that have never made a decision Take some time to ponder before I made a decision for Christ almost 21 years ago, almost to the day, it took me some time to look through the claims of Christ, pray through them, read scripture, chat with any pastor or deacon or elder or ministry leader. The best thing we can do is to talk to you about the Lord Jesus Christ please, I pray that you will consider the claims of Christ. You will consider your heavenly citizenship. The next two applications are a little more practical. If you consider yourself a younger person, and I'll let you decide where you fit on the age spectrum, but if you have a a grandparent or a great grandparent, call them, chat with them. Um, if there's no one in your family that you can trust, find someone of a different generation, someone that's a little older that you can trust. But ask them some questions. What was life like? What was church like when you were growing up? Try to gain some understanding of, of what things were like. As Pastor Jason said in the beginning, we live in a wonderful country. It's not perfect, but many, many people had to build this. It doesn't come for free. Many people had to bleed and die on battlefields elsewhere so that we could have a freedom to sit in a parking lot on July the 4th and listen to a sermon. That is not for free. I have been to a number of countries around the world where those freedoms, those liberties are not there. Let us never take it for granted. And let's thank some people from older generations for all that they've done in building the country that we enjoy. If you're a a more senior person, a more mature person, reach out to a younger relative or a younger friend. Ask them questions about today because the world in which our young people are growing up is probably dramatically more difficult than the one in which you grew up. The cause of Christ is challenged much more heavily. And it's not to say that we have massive persecution in the United States, but there are real challenges. So pray for our young people that they can stand for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Pray that they will stand in the face of challenges. Pray for the next generation of pastors and missionaries and church leaders who will lead our church. There are some young people, two years old, 10 years old, 20 years old, in our congregation today that will be pastors and missionaries and leaders. Bring it out of them, encourage them, share scripture with them. This church is so amazing at those things. Please, saints, continue to do those things. The younger generation, you can have some fun with the older generations. You can give them some computer help how to work some apps on your iPhone, create a PDF, you know. Have some fun with it as well. C, call or chat with a veteran or a member of the armed forces. It's not to conflate our citizenships that are earthly and heavenly, but it's to be grateful. Under Romans 13, verses 1 through 7, under 1 Timothy 2, we're called to give honor to, uh, to those to whom honor is due and those that have served are certainly worthy of that. I introduced my paternal great-grandparents at the start of this message. Their children, that is my, gran- uh, my grandfather and my grandmother, both served for the U.S. Marine Corps in World War II. My grandfather saw some of the bloodiest fighting on Peleliu and Okinawa. Oh, what I wouldn't give to be able to call him today to say thank you. Those that have served have given us the blessing, that have bestowed upon us the blessing that we enjoy today. D, to go back to my continuum, reject globalism, reject colonialism, reject hypernationalism. Be somewhere in the middle on the spectrum. Have a healthy patriotism Bearing in mind that every person, regardless of background, regardless of nationality, of color, of ethnicity, is made in God's image. Reject the colonialism. That's largely gone today, but it's one thing that could come back. Reject hypernationalism. If we think of World War II, if we think of Adolf Hitler, if we think of Nazi Germany, of Imperial Japan, that's the type of hypernationalism on which we must look out. The great news though is that there's a reconciliation that's possible. As I noted, my grandfather went to war with the Japanese, and yet today Japan is one of our closest allies. It's a wonderful story of friendship and of reconciliation between generations. In closing, I want to take a moment to assess the world today to look at Pastor Jason's sermons on First Thessalonians 4. We've got a lot to be grateful for in the United States, but let's never make an idol of our country. Kingdoms rise and fall. They change. Generations change. May we be faithful first and foremost to Scripture and to the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to maintain a proper perspective of how we look at the world as a professor, I'm very analytical, try to not, not to get too caught up in the news cycle. If we spend enough time looking at the news, watching the news, we might get caught up thinking that this world is doom and gloom and about to end. And certainly there are challenges, human trafficking, opioid abuse, all kinds of challenges in our society and elsewhere. War in Syria that I mentioned, but numerous interstate and intrastate wars elsewhere in the world. Maybe on a personal level, someone you know is dealing with cancer or Alzheimer's. So life can also seem very difficult and challenging for the individual. But if I turn things on the head a little bit, we can say that the world is also very good. We're out here on the 4th of July celebrating together listening to a gospel message life expectancy as i also mentioned has basically been never has never been so good never been so at such a high point previous generations life expectancy 40 50 years of age there are people in this congregation who may well live to over the age of 100 maybe more Healthcare has become amazing in many ways and maybe you've had challenges at hospitals but prior to any point in human history, our health care is better. Wealth has never been so high. The world has never been so wealthy. The middle class never so large. Democracy, roughly half the countries, half the people with citizenships in countries around the world can enjoy some level of democratic rights, the rights to choose your rulers. And so when looking at the world today and looking at the question of, well, will Jesus come back and when, I want you to weigh up. I want you to analyze. There are points where the world is very bad and could get worse very quickly. The Lord Jesus Christ could come back pretty soon. But I also want you to be aware of the possibility that the Lord Jesus Christ might not come back for centuries. That some things are quite good in our culture, in our world today. And so Jesus might be looking down on us saying, your problems aren't that bad. So returning to my main point, let us hold our earthly citizenship. The Lord might come back any moment or at least soon, but it might be years from now. So let's hold our earthly citizenship, let's be busy conducting ministry, but realize and remember that our heavenly citizenship is coming. That's our ultimate destination, and our role on this earth is to please the Lord Jesus Christ and to live for His glory. Let's maintain a gospel mindset with our earthly citizenship, one that can be patriotic, one that at times can be nationalistic, But also to prepare for our heavenly citizenship. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and thank you for our country that allows us to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ openly, perhaps in a parking lot in Beaver Creek, Ohio. Thank you for that privilege. May we never take it for granted. Lord, We pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world that may not have similar liberties and freedoms. May their trials and tribulations not be lost on us. May we pray for them regularly. Lord, stir in our hearts if we're to serve as missionaries, maybe somewhere else in the world. Thank you for many saints that are from other countries that are here Working on behalf of the gospel, sharing the gospel here in Ohio. Thank you, Lord, for them. Thank you that we can be secure as well in our heavenly citizenship, that the Lord Jesus Christ came, died, was buried, and then rose again. In that truth, we can know the Lord Jesus Christ and we can have a heavenly citizenship. And for those that do not know, yet know the Lord Jesus, May their hearts uh, be pricked from today's discussion. May they deeply consider the claims of Christ. Thank you, Lord, for their attendance today and for their watching online. Thank you all. And may I pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.